Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, in reading in a few moments with verse 12. Have you ever thought what it might be like to be in prison, to spend some time in jail? Now, as a pastor, I've been to jail before to do devotions, but you know, I didn't have to stay there long. I could leave whenever I got through. Uh, I've been to prison, uh, unfortunately, a time or two, and it was to see a church member. <laughs> and, uh, but I didn't have to stay there long either. I guess the, the closest I ever came to, to being confined for a long period of time was when uh, Joy, my wife, had cancer and had to have a stem cell transplant, and she was in the hospital for five and a half weeks. Most of that time was in isolation, needed someone with her, and so I stayed with her. And just, you know, several weeks seemed like a long, long time, not being able to get out and go and, and do what you would like to do. You ever thought what it would be like if you were put in prison for weeks or months or years? When Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he was in, incarcerated. And at this particular time, he wasn't incarcerated like in a dungeon or something. He, he was in a house and, uh, or either in a, uh, you know, the king's palace, and he would, uh, was guarded by soldiers. And the, the, you know, he would have you know, two soldiers guarding him at all times. And he had a chain on his wrist that went to one of the soldiers and a chain on the other wrist that went to the other soldier. And they would come and, you know, change shifts periodically, but he still couldn't get away. Now, he, he could, you know, do some things. You know, he could receive guests. He could write letters, which we have here in the book, like the book of Philippians. But he couldn't leave. He was under arrest. If you were under arrest and in prison, and you had an opportunity to write a letter to your friends, what would you say? Man, the food here is lousy. It's cold in the winter. It's hot in the summer. The guards are surly. You know, pray that I'll get out of here. But that's not what he wrote. Let's look and see what he wrote. Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has already served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Notice the word rejoice there in verse 18. If you were writing a letter from prison, would that be one of the words you might use? about how you felt? Probably not. You know, it's not what you would expect. It's not what you would expect from Paul. You know, think about it. Paul was a man of action. He wanted to be on the go. 
He wanted to be moving around. He wanted to be taking risks. He wanted to see people brought to the Lord. He wanted to train people to grow in the Lord. He wanted to establish churches. And here he was, stuck, and not able to go and do much of any of those things. So it's kind of unusual that he would think about rejoice in those terms. How do you rejoice when you're stuck in your prison? Now, you remember I said for a little while my prison was a hospital room. Sometimes our prison is illness. Sometimes it's grief. Sometimes it's debt. Sometimes it's a problem in one of our relationships. There are a lot of different prisons that we can get stuck in. So how can we rejoice when we're stuck in our prison? How can Paul rejoice? Well, think about it. First of all, Paul had a purpose. He had a purpose. And his purpose was to advance the gospel. Now look there in verse 12. He says, what has happened to me, you know, me being stuffed over here where I can't get away and move about and do what I really want to do, somehow God has used that to advance the gospel. And that word there was used of an army advancing, of moving through territory, of, of making progress. Paul wanted to advance the gospel. So he said, as a result, the whole palace guard has come to know why I'm here. You know, the palace guard was the praetorian guard. It was the guard that guarded the household of Caesar and sometimes of other important rulers within the Roman Empire. And, you know, they were the elite. They, they were the top soldiers. And so, you know, they were put on guard duty with Paul. And they would serve for a shift, chained to him, and then another group would come, another two would come, and they would be chained to him for several hours, and so on and so on. So a lot of those guys would be chained to Paul. Well, guess what? What would it be like if you were chained to Paul? Well, you would hear about a man who prayed a lot. You would hear about Jesus. You would have people come in to talk to him, and that was allowed. And he would counsel them according to their spiritual condition. You know, he would write letters, and most of them he had to dictate so they would hear those letters. And some of them became believers. Some of them heard the good news of Jesus and decided to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. I think it's interesting. Over in verse 22 of chapter 4, Paul says, All the saints send you greeting, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Well, how did Caesar's household find out about it? Because those soldiers that had been one to the Lord went and told other people about it. So other people came to know the Lord. So Paul could rejoice even in his chains because he saw the gospel making progress, the gospel moving forward. He wanted to see you know, people come to the Lord, and he was seeing people come to the Lord. And he saw that despite his circumstances. When I was working on my doctor's degree, I had a field supervisor. It was Stuart Sims. He was pastor of the First Baptist Church of Greer. And uh, I would have to take sermons to him and notes from counseling sessions and plans for activities. And, and he would go over them with me as, a, you know, as an experienced pastor of a large church. And in fact, my wife and I came to think so much of Dr. Stuart Sims that we named our son after him. That's why our son is named Stuart. Many years after that, Dr. Sims got pancreatic cancer, one of the worst you can have. And so he ended up, of course, spending a lot of time in the hospital, then spending time in, an ex in a nursing home. I went to see him one time in that nursing home, and 
what I found out, you know, not from talking for him, but from others that were there, is that hardly anybody could come into his room without him talking about Jesus to them. You know, and, and the, the, the staff there just, the, where believers just loved him and others were being brought to Christ in the midst of the prison of pancreatic cancer. He shared the good news and the gospel advanced. Now, Paul knew also that God is the master in all of our circumstances. That, you know, he's in control. He is the one who rules over all and is working all things for good. Again, back over in Romans chapter 8, we read in verse 28, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul wrote that too. He knew that God can take anything and bring good out of it. And so he could rejoice even in the midst of his prison. Now, our faith helps us to do that. Our faith doesn't necessarily give us the answers that we desire sometimes as to why is this happening to me or why is this happening to them. It doesn't always give us the answer, but it always gives us the strength to cope. And God is always at work in it to bring some good out of it because we serve that kind of powerful God. God's at work. No matter what, God's at work. No matter what prison we may be in, He's using it for good. I want to take a little survey of you this morning. And I want you to hold up your hand if, uh, you know, you, you go along with this. Okay, how many of you do like the hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me? Anybody like that hymn? Okay. All right, how many of you like the hymn, Praise Him, Praise Him, Jesus, My Blessed Redeemer? Let me see. Like that. All right. Uh, how many of you like the hymn, I am thine, O Lord, I've heard thy voice, and it told thy love for me? Some of you like that one. How many of you like the hymn, To God Be the Glory? Okay, a lot of people. Guess what? That's a very small number of the hymns that a woman named Fanny Crosby wrote. She wrote a lot of hymns, and boy, do we love to sing them. Just blessed people for generations. Shortly after she was born, Fanny Crosby lost her sight. She was blind. But out of the prison of blindness, she could produce such hymns of faith as some of the ones I've just shared and many more as well. God takes our circumstances and He works in them and He works through them. He's the master of all of our circumstances. And notice something else about Paul. Paul had a courageous courage. He says in verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the Word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. You know, the people who heard about him, who knew what was going on with him, became more courageous. While Paul was in prison, his being in prison inspired them. In other words, they kind of had the idea, wow, Paul can do it, I can do it. I can take the bad things that life may hand me and I will let God work in me and I will let God work through me and I'm going to tell what Jesus is doing no matter what. And they became bolder. They became more courageous. And notice something there that it says, speak the word of God. 
right? That, that, he's not talking about preaching. He's talking about speaking in everyday conversation. Day by day, they would go out and just in the midst of the conversations of life, talk about Jesus and what he can do. You see, what we do affects others. Paul's courage produced courage in some others. We, we need encouragement from one another. That's one reason being in church is so important. You know, if you, if you get out of the habit of coming, you're not around other believers, you, you get discouraged. You know, you, your, your faith kind of burns low. We, we need other believers to keep encouraging us, keep in building us up, and they need us to be here to encourage them as well. So we help each other have courage in the faith. So like Paul, we're not to be afraid to share the gospel. We're not to be afraid to share the good news. You know, fear can keep us from sharing. You know, well, what, if, what if she rejects me when I approach her and try to want to talk to her about Jesus? Fear can keep us from sharing. Fear can say to us, well, you know, I might push too hard. I'm afraid I might push too hard. I don't want to do that. Or, you know, we could think, well, you know, I'm afraid this might be too personal to talk about. You know, fear keeps us from sharing. But we're not to let fear keep us from sharing. We are to share even when we're afraid. Others share when they're afraid, when situations don't seem just right. Let me tell you a little story. Several years ago, I was on the way to Columbia to, to visit in the hospital, and I had come down 26, got on 126, you know, had just about down around the zoo exit, and guess what I saw in my rearview mirror? That flashing blue light. Now, it's not what you think, because I looked down and I was doing the speed limit and not over. But the patrolman pulled me over and wanted to see my driver's license, and then he wanted to see my registration. And so I got out my registration, handed it to him. He handed it back said, did you know your tag's out of date? Silly little sticker hadn't been put on. So, yeah, make a long story short, there'd been a computer glitch. It kicked my license plate number out. It was on some car around Sumter. <laughs> and, but still, I had to go, and I had to pay. You know, the taxes, I had to get the tag, I had to take the papers work and come back to Columbia for magistrate's court. So here I am in magistrate's court, and you know, it's a, it's a pretty good-sized room, and the, the, the benches in there are much like these pews. And we're sitting in there with a whole group of people, and there was a young man sits down beside me. And we got to talking a little bit, and he told me that he was just getting interested in going to church. And I thought, well... I need to, to tell this young man about Jesus. But I thought, here in magistrate's court? You know, uh, what are people going to think? What are, what are people going to say? Maybe, you know, maybe he would be embarrassed to talk about that kind of thing. So, so I, t I talked to him a little more and then decided he needs to hear. So I had learned to, to teach to another group of people a, a presentation where you use Romans 6.23 as a gospel presentation. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And you do that by drawing the diagram on your hand, and you know that makes each of the little points you're dealing with there. So I put that on a little piece of paper we have to add there and went through that and explained to him about Jesus and asked him if he wanted to receive Jesus, and he said, yeah. I said, well, 
you can pray to ask him into your life right now. And he said, okay, I will. And right there in magistrate's court, he bowed his head and asked Jesus to come into his life. Now, I don't know what his charge was, so he may have had some impetus that I didn't know about. But uh, anyhow, if it was just magistrate's court, I feared it could have been too bad. No, I think he was really serious about having his need, feeling his need for Jesus and accepting him as his Savior. And he told me that he was going to get back in church. He's already had a friend that had been inviting him. He was going to go. And, uh, you know, about that time I was, you know, called up to present my case, so to speak. But fear could have kept me from sharing. Thank goodness that day it didn't. Well, others share, even when all the circumstances aren't right, when we're afraid things aren't perfect. After all, our sharing didn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. This is God's work. Do you remember when Jesus fed the multitude? You know, that, that was a big deal. All four Gospels record that. You know, Jesus took a little boy's lunch, five little, you know, rolls and two fish, and fed thousands of people with them. That little boy's lunch wasn't perfect. It wasn't sufficient for all of those people. But in the hands of Jesus, it was. Our sharing might not be perfect. We might leave something out. We might not get it exactly right, but in the hands of Jesus can change a soul for eternity. Don't be afraid to share. Now, then Paul saw the gospel being spread. He said, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Now, what about that? Think about that. Some had the right motives for sharing the gospel. Some had goodwill in their hearts. Some had love for people in their hearts. And they just wanted, you know, to tell about Jesus and then share him and, and see people come to Jesus. And then there were others who weren't that way at all. They had the wrong motives. They were jealous of Paul. They wanted to maybe cause Paul some trouble. You say, well, what, what do you mean? How, how could that be? Okay. There were some people in the church then some ministers of the church then that thought you had to add a lot of good works to what Jesus had done to be saved. And Paul was saying, no, it's just what Jesus did. It's nothing you can add to it. And so they were thinking probably, well, now, Paul's in chains, so you know, we can get out here and spread our message around a little better. Or it could have been that they were thinking, well, everybody thinks Paul is somebody. You know, he's a preacher that's been through a lot and he's done a lot of good and they, they just really love Paul. Now I can get out here and I can make my mark and maybe they'll like me in the same way. So for one reason or another, they were preaching out of the wrong motive and Paul said it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, Paul rejoiced that the gospel was being shared, whether from the right motive or the wrong motive. At least people were talking about Jesus and they had, others had the chance to come to know about him. Now, you try to serve the Lord. You try to share Jesus. You try to work in God's church. And sooner or later, you're going to get your feathers ruffled. Sooner or later, there's going to be somebody that is, you know, is going to criticize you. Or somebody's going to say, well, you know, why don't you try so-and-so and so-and-so? -and -so -and -so? It's just going to happen. What are you going to do? Hopefully, you're going to say, I'm going to keep on doing what God has called me to do. And I'm going to, you know, just keep sharing. And I'm going to keep working. And I'm going to keep doing what I know will honor the Lord Jesus because I want to see the gospel spread. 
You see, Paul wanted to see the gospel spread because he knew the power of the gospel. Again, he wrote to Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Wow, the power of God for salvation. The good news about Jesus is what is necessary and all that is necessary for us to be forgiven of our sins and given eternal life. Now, it's needed. It's needed. Do you remember that passage of Scripture? That's the passage of Scripture I read before I had my prayer. Do you remember what that passage of Scripture said we were like before we came to know Jesus? It said we were ungodly. It said we were ungodly. We have done things that are wrong. We have done things that are sinful. We have done things that are against the will of God. And it said also that we are enemies of God. We're enemies of God because we don't want God to have his rightful place. We don't want him to be the ruler. We don't want him to call the shots. We want to live our life like we please, when we please, how we please. And God, you can just stay out of it. We're God's enemies. And he said we were powerless. Powerless. Even if we come to the place where we realize we're wrong, we're powerless to do anything about it. The gospel's needed. But you know what that passage went on to say? But because of his love for us, God has demonstrated his love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of that, we can come to have Jesus as Savior. So Paul rejoiced because when Jesus' death for the forgiveness of our sin, his resurrection to show his power to give life and eternal life are proclaimed, then people come to know Jesus and they receive that eternal life. So we are to share. We're to see the need. People are lost without Jesus. People are dying without Jesus. People are God's enemies, they're ungodly, they're powerless, they're on the way to eternal destruction. See the need. Pay the price to learn how to share. Be willing to be able to tell your story or to share a scripture passage or whatever it takes. Share whenever you can. Share even if it costs you. Share even when you may not be sharing from the best of motives. Maybe you just do it because the preacher said you're supposed to do it. But if it gets done, then the power of God clicks in and people are changed. Listen, listen. We need to be more, move beyond being more concerned for our own comfort and success to being more concerned with the gospel being shared. Do you get it? Sure, you get it. Will you do it? You've got to decide that. But it's awfully easy for us to be concerned with what's going on in our lives that, yeah, may be important, but doesn't hold a candle to what's going on in the life of someone else who doesn't know Jesus. One passage that says, without hope and without God in the world. Man, that's a hard spot to be in. Without hope, without an eternal hope, without God in this world to face all of the prisons that we find ourselves in. People need Jesus. 
What prison are you in this morning? You know, there are a lot of them. A lot of different things we can be in prison. Health, grief, loneliness, debt, the list goes on. All of us sooner or later have circumstances we wish we could change, and we just can't get them changed. Remember, we're in God's hands. He works in circumstances, not even the best of circumstances, not even good circumstances, to be a blessing to us and to help the gospel advance. So we need to stand faithful, no matter what prison we're in. We need to keep trusting God, because He eventually is going to make everything right, and we need to keep sharing Christ, even when we're in prison, so that others might be blessed. And the gospel might be advanced. And people's lives might be moved, as we said earlier this morning, from death to life. What about you? This morning, you need to come from death to life to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to let Him direct your life and bless your life and give you eternal life. Today, you need to rededicate yourself to following Jesus Rededicate yourself to sharing Jesus. Maybe today you would like to come and, and say, I, I want to be a member of this church. I want to be in this body where I can be encouraged and where I can be an encourager. God is a powerful God. Jesus is a wonderful Savior. We put ourselves in their hands and we're going to be fine no matter where we find ourselves. No matter what we're facing, he's going to bring some good out of it. An invitation hymn is number 360.